0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh. If we give Satan too much power, we make him God's opposite.
1: And I think it was by God's design that we would have that detail recorded for us in scripture about an unnamed angels, kind of like God's looking around going, hey, we got an intern, send him down there. Don't you need Gabriel and Michael for this? No. I know it's a little dramatic, but get the point, Right. So effortlessly, this unnamed angel goes and casts Satan into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years.
0: So often we think of Satan as being God's arch rival. But as Pastor J.D. reminds us today, that gives the devil way more power than he actually has. Satan is a created being, just like you and I. It's not like only God can defeat him. In fact, it doesn't even require a well-versed angel to take him down. Just an intern will do. (laughs) Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 as he continues his message, Jesus is our only escape.
1: Let's go into the New Testament when the Savior is born. Herod, demon-possessed. I mean it's pretty graphic, but it's the truth. Had all of the Jewish boys under two years of age, I mean slaughtered, would be the best word I can use for lack of a better one. Why? Because apparently He's been born now. We've got to kill him before he goes to the cross. And he didn't succeed. And that's when Joseph and Mary take Jesus to Egypt, where they're protected. And even into the last century, dare I say, Hitler. What is it about names that start with H? Haman, Herod, Hitler, just saying, demon-possessed, to exterminate and eliminate all of the Jews. Why? Because if he were to succeed, he'll never succeed, then Jesus cannot come. Because you have to understand that when Jesus comes at the second coming, after the seven-year tribulation, which is after the rapture, which is before the seven-year tribulation, The Jews have to call upon him the one whom they had pierced. Again, Satan knows the book of Revelation. Listen, if you had a book like that, inspired by the Holy Spirit written about you, you'd pretty much know that book pretty well. Which is, by the way, I think one of the main reasons why Satan is successful in keeping Christians from reading the book of Revelation. He doesn't want them, oh it's a complicated book, it's so apocalyptic actually that's what the word revelation means, apocalypsos in the Greek. I know this is deeply profound, but revelation, Revel, reveal, unveil, that's what apocalypsos means. It's an unveiling. It's a revelation of what's going to happen in the future. And <laughs> I wouldn't want someone reading a book about my end that was like that. He doesn't want you reading it. He surely does not want you to know about what needs to happen at the time of the end. Well, not only is Genesis 3.15 the first prophecy in the Bible and the first mention of the gospel, it is actually also a prophecy about the Lord's return because this crushing of Satan's head, his head isn't crushed yet. He's (laughs) still alive and well. But when his head is crushed, it will be ultimately fulfilled after the millennial reign, the kingdom age of 1000 years here on this earth. Maybe I can just give you a quick thumbnail sketch of how it's all going to go down. The next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture. It can happen anytime. I mean, any time. After the rapture, the Antichrist is revealed. The seven-year tribulation starts when Daniel 9.27 is fulfilled, and there's a seven-year agreement that is enforced and confirmed. In the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist will set himself up in the rebuilt temple, declaring himself to be God. He'll commit the abomination that causes desolation. It will be at this juncture that the Jewish people will realize this is not our Messiah. This is the false Messiah, the Antichrist, in place of Christ. And that's when they come to a saving knowledge of their true Christ, their true Messiah. And then they flee Jerusalem, as Jesus describes in detail, I might add, in Matthew 24, to the place that's prepared for them. Many believe Petra in modern day Jordan for the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. And at the end of the seven year tribulation is the second coming. It's been said, I think rightfully so and aptly so, that at the rapture Jesus comes for us, at the second coming Jesus comes with us. His bride by His side, we're coming back with Jesus after the seven-year tribulation. And then the whole house of Israel is saved. And then we enter, after the second coming, into the 1,000 year reign. Satan's head's not ultimately and finally crushed yet. Well, where is he? Well, it's very interesting actually. We're told that an angel, unnamed angel, I happen to think that it's just an intern in heaven, is sent down to take Satan and cast him and chain him in the bottomless pit for the entirety of 1,000 years. The reason I say it like that is because we do err greatly when we give Satan too much credit. He is not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He's a created being. And we go to one extreme or the other. We either dismiss how powerful he is, or we overstate how powerful he is. And he's he's good with both. Either one's fine. But if we give Satan too much power, we make him God's opposite. And I think it was by God's design that we would have that detail recorded for us in scripture about an unnamed angels kind of like God's looking around going, Hey, we got an intern, send him down there. Don't you need Gabriel and Michael for this? No. I know it's a little dramatic, but you get the point, right? So effortlessly, this unnamed angel goes and casts Satan into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And we, with Christ, rule and reign for 1,000 years on earth, and earth will be like it was before sin entered the world. And then after the millennium, Satan is loosed. If you can believe it or not, (laughs) some people will actually choose Satan at the end of the millennium. What? What? Listen, there are going to be people that are going to somehow survive the seven-year tribulation. Hebrews, as we just got done learning when we were in Hebrews, says that we're appointed, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So if they survive the tribulation, many will, living outside the system, the beast system, then the second coming happens. They are going to enter the millennium. And they will have bodies like Adam and Eve had. And they're going to live for hundreds of years and have children and children's children and children's children. Is this too much? Okay, so let's get past the millennium. Then comes the final judgment, the final battle. Not much of a battle. Jesus just, that's it. That's when his head gets crushed, and he's cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is a prophecy. And it's the gospel. It's the good news. And here's what's sad. As simple as the gospel is, many still don't fully understand it. Let me explain. The good news, or gospel, is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and, don't stop there, he's coming back one day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I could use some good news like that. (laughs) It wasn't that long ago when we were studying through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, verse by verse, And one of the things that came screaming out of that study, especially with First Thessalonians, was that it was the first epistle that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. And he writes it to this church in Thessalonica, a church that he started, and some believe spent no longer than maybe three months there. Then he was basically run out of town, and he ever since that time longed to go back. He loved this church. This was his first letter that he was inspired to write. And it was a young church with new believers. And the Apostle Paul had the audacity to teach them Bible prophecy. They're new believers. You can't talk to him about the rapture. Watch me now. It's the first time the Apostle Paul presents the gospel, not to the Corinthian church. I know you're thinking 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses. That's okay. You're wrong. So was I. Here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's that's not the whole story. (laughs) And by the way, that's not the first time Paul presents the Gospel. The first time he presents the Gospel is to the Thessalonians. I'm, I'm sorry I'm yelling, but this is so exciting. Because when he presents the Gospel for the first time in recorded Scripture, he includes with it, in fact, it's the context of it, the rapture of the church. That's good news. And these are young believers. He was only there for three months, let's say. And He's teaching them about the rapture. Wow. Wow. Just wow. That's all I can say, just wow. Let me begin in verse 13, Thessalonians chapter 4. He writes, Brothers and sisters, (laughs) we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uh, By the way, backstory, real quick, context. He's writing this letter because the Thessalonian Christians are freaking out. What do you mean? Oh, they're freaking out, because a lot of their loved ones were dying, and they're going, wait a minute, Paul taught us when he was here about the rapture, but they already died, and now what happened? So Paul's like, okay, (laughs) let me clear this up for you. You don't have to freak out at all, nor do you have to grieve as those without hope. And here's why, and here it is, verse 14, the gospel, first time. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him, speaking of their death. It gets better. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we, Paul thought it would be in his lifetime, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep in death. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the bodily resurrection. What do you mean? Well, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happens when you die? Well, when you die, it's dust to dust, ashes to ashes, the body remains. The Spirit leaves the body, goes to be with the Lord, if you're born again of the Spirit. And when that trumpet sounds, and by the way, there's two kinds of trumpets in Scripture with two purposes. There's the trumpet of God for the church and the trumpet of angels for Israel. Please make that distinction. And there are two different purposes for trumpets. The trumpet for Israel is a call to battle. The trumpet for the church is a call to gather God's people to meet Him in the air. That's the rapture. So when that trumpet sounds, those loved ones, they're going to get their bodily resurrection. They're going to rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, harpazo in the Greek, rapturous in the Latin, raptured, snatched away. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15, I, I could be wrong, verses 51 and 52, he says, we shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed, metamorphosis in the original, in the twinkling of an eye, not a blink, twinkling, that's a fraction, of a fraction 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 of a second, that fast. We who are alive, we're going to, in the twinkling of an eye, put off corruptible bodies. That alone, right there. Can I get a witness on that? Haw. Oh. and then we're going to get our new glorified bodies in the twinkling of an eye, and then we are going to meet them with the Lord in the air. What I am saying and preaching and teaching and quoting here from God's Word is real. It is more real than the comfortable chairs you're sitting on today. That's how real this is. This is not pie in the sky, as they say. No pun intended, by the way. We are going to be in the sky. And if there is pie, that's even better. (laughs) But this is real. This is going to happen this is the gospel. This is the good news. Could you imagine, just for purpose of discussion, could you imagine if the good news was Jesus died for us, paid the penalty in full, was buried, and he rose again, and then it ended there? Be like, and? Well, I I did my part. Wish you the best. (laughs) No, that's not the end of the story again. He rose again, defeating death, and he's coming back. He's coming back. Paul goes on to say, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And he says this in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words." This is very encouraging, especially in the world in which we're living in today. Encourage one another with the good news, the gospel. Here's why we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, until he returns in the rapture. And when he returns, he won't be a baby born in a manger, and he won't be the Savior dying on a cross. He will be the bridegroom catching away his bride. The first time Jesus came, he was born at night, but when he comes at the rapture, he takes his bride as a thief in the night. The first time He came, He was born to die. However, this time, when He returns, He takes those who are born again, and they'll never die. The first time He came, it was through a virgin's womb, and in death He left through an empty tomb. As one aptly quipped, Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance, and left it through a door marked no exit. The Savior of the world was born to die so that we can be born again to live. His birth points to His death for our eternal life. And the way He entered this world would be similar to how He left this world. His death is woven into the fabric of his birth. His body was wrapped in cloth in a stone manger at his birth, and his body was wrapped in cloth in a stone tomb at his death. Just as his entering the world was similar to his leaving the world, so too will it be similar to when he takes us out of the world. And I would suggest that the question before every single one of us today for all of mankind is this, will we allow Him entrance into the door of our life for eternal life when we exit this life? I know, I hope you don't tire me saying this, but it's the truth. Jesus is our only hope. Yes, the blessed hope, Titus 2.13, but He's our only hope. There's no more hope in this world. Jesus is our only hope. He's our only way out. He escaped that tomb, resurrecting from the dead, and is alive. And so too, are we going to escape in what one has referred to as the great escape, the rapture of the church. And by the way, I have no problem with that, even with those who take issue with that. Oh, you pre-trib rapture people, you just want to escape. I'm like, (laughs) you don't? Again, I know this isn't proper English and... I hope you don't tire me saying this. I do say it often. But the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. And isn't it true that when things get really bad, we want Jesus to come yesterday? (laughs) And conversely, when things are going good, it's kind of like, ah, we're good. But boy, just let adversity strike let difficulty come, let hardship happen. We're like, what? <laughs> Don't you think He knows that? You see a pattern here? I've often thought to myself over the last couple of years that God has really done a profound work in people's lives, getting us, even His people, maybe even in some ways, especially His people, to loosen their ever-tightening grip on this world, and the things of this world, the things that heretofore we've put our trust in, relied upon, and then you watch it evaporate. I think about that proverb, I was just thinking about it this morning, actually. It goes something like this, don't feast your eyes on wealth. In other words, don't put your trust in riches, for surely they will sprout wings, and fly away to heaven. Sounds like your paycheck sometimes, yeah, when you run out, (laughs) you run out of money before you run out a month. What's the point? The point is, don't put your trust in that, because it's fleeting. Hold on loosely to that. All of those things that we've gotten so comfortable with in this world are gone. And in some ways, in a good way, it's forced us to come to Him, turn to Him, return to Him.
0: You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. The Easter season is a time that Christians look forward to with anticipation, looking to celebrate the amazing, miraculous work that God did here on earth. What he did was nothing ordinary. No, in fact, raising from the dead was something unheard of. And the things tied to his resurrection were even more incredible than the miracle itself. Jesus' self-sacrifice for sin and then his resurrection following meant that every person on earth could be rid of sin and have new life too. This is what causes Christianity to stand out from any other religion. So not only does Easter represent Jesus' resurrection, but it's a reminder to each individual that you have the opportunity of life eternal because of what Jesus did. What a day to celebrate. If you'd like to listen to this message again, head over to our website, calvarychapelkaniohe.com. While you're at our website, feel free to access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like the one you heard today. There are many topics covered that might be of interest to you. You can also hear Pastor J.D.'s prophecy updates. Again, our website is calvarychapelkaniohe.com. If you're interested in listening to these messages on the go, search for In Spirit and Truth in the iTunes Store. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find links to those on our website. Once again, that's com. Join us next time as Pastor J.D. will teach through God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.